The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Gotham City Gazette, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, January 20th, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Batwoman. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, Gotham. Professor X. Kiss, kiss, Gotham. And Dimitri Wijasinger. What's happening, Gotham? Let's jump into our discussion of Season 3, Episode 9, which was titled Kiss Kiss. No, um, Meet Your Maker, and aired January 19th, 2022. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Ryan, Sophie, and Luke attempt to track down the OG Poison Ivy when all signs point to Pamela Isley's reappearance in Gotham. At the same time, Mary feels drawn by a powerful force, and Alice suddenly feels very protective of her stepsister. Meanwhile, Jada hasn't given up on rehabilitating Marcus and seeks the help of an old friend. So, we actually have a lot to talk about. There was a big moment that we're going to talk about, but we're not going to talk about it right now. We're going to wait. Because let's talk about that meanwhile. Because Jada and her friend were kind of like on their own little island, and it was an island filled with a whole bunch of interesting exposition that I thought was hella fascinating. Because there was a look, there there was not a touch, there was not a kiss in this one, but clearly something happened in the past. So we start off Jada Jet's storyline where she meets a friend of hers from the past, and that old friend is actually our old friend, John Diggle. And um, we we learned that he used to work for Jada Jet. And uh, later on, we learned that there might have been a little something-something between him and Jada Jet. Because he was like, I, I, I am married again. <laughs> and she was like, oh. So there was that. Um, and we, we found out that Jada Jet apparently is a fan of podcasts, because she heard exactly what I said last week, and we all laughed at it, but it apparently is the way that they're going. She's like, I need to find the Joker's joy buzzer, because I need to zap my child again. And I said that as a gag last week, but it's the way we're going. And you know what? 
I am Podcast Feratu. I see all. So I guess I saw this. Um, so they're looking for the joy buzzer. They he he uh, Diggle knows about the uh, covert thing at the mayor's office that Rene Montoya is uh, heading up. There is this fantastic scene where Diggle does not know how to pick a lock with a bobby pin, but uh, Jada Jet does. Uh, and there's that amazing line of you know you can take the girl out the streets, but you can't take the streets out the girl, um, which was fantastic. Uh, and they end up finding the joy buzzer, uh, you know, after the little snoopage. Um, and, uh, yes, so that, that's pretty much the storyline. You know, at the end, they're like, we can celebrate with uh, some real wine as opposed to the beers that uh, that Rene Montoya had. We'll talk about Diggle and the other stuff he does in a moment. But let's talk about Diggle and Jada Jets. This was fascinating. Right, Millie Wood? Very fascinating. Um, not only was, I didn't realize Diggles would be this episode, but then I thought when he was there, immediately I was like, oh, okay, he's going to at least have interaction with Luke, but it was all Jada and so much backstory. I don't know how I feel about it because it just it felt very weird. Um, but I do appreciate like the callback to his security background and sort of how they made it work, like why he would know Jada Jet, but it seems suspicious or just interesting um, to be, get a little bit more about Diggle and um, – his odd background on there, but I liked the chemistry that was going on with, with the two. So it's fun. I really hope this, he comes back and kind of elaborates more on this. Cause I feel a little bit random at the same time. I thought the chemistry was great. I'm almost at the point where I'm like, leave Lila and get with Jada Jet. Is I'm that like, wrong? Yeah. No, I'm sort of with you. I like Lila, but yeah, I do enjoy the chemistry, plus the show actually is still airing, so... Well, that is true. Although he has his own show that he will be, uh, be on. But he can marry Jada Jet, and she can fund the university that he's going to be, you know. I don't know. Sorry, Lila. I, I mean, I know you have a child, and I'm, I guess I'm breaking up a happy home. But anyway, there was great chemistry there. Right, Professor? There was great chemistry between them. Uh, like Millie, I was surprised. You know, I think we're so accustomed to knowing, you know, when old favorites or there's going to be guest stars or things like that. The fact that when I saw David Ramsey's uh, name pop in the credits, I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And I wasn't expecting him in this context. I think it, it did play out, you know, the idea that, you know, he is a man with a past. And, you know, he was working in security when we first met him over on Arrow. So it kind of makes sense he would have had that background. Also, you know, as you said, you know, there's clearly a shared history. He obviously knows a lot. I mean, he knew about the existence of her daughter. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, this is purely headcanon, but, you know, whoever was arranging for, you know, uh, her daughter to be, uh, you know, delivered anonymously and uh, and hidden away, she would presumably have needed a security expert for that. Hmm. I wonder if John might be more connected to this than we realize. Um, um. So I liked it. I thought it was, uh, as you say, they, they had great chemistry, but uh, unlike uh, you, I'm not. Uh, aiming for, you know, ruining his current relationship just so he can become, you know, a series regular on another Arrowverse show. I like Lila too much for that. Oh, okay. So you'd rather David Ramsey not have a job. I don't see how it is. Okay. He he directs <laughs> multiple episodes of multiple shows. He guest stars all the time. He's keeping busy. All right. Well, that is true. That is true. Yes, yes, yes. I feel, mm-hmm. I feel like we should mention the fact since we're talking about all this adultery <laughs> that uh, he mentions like that he's 
worked for them before. Okay, can okay, 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 okay. You're actually going in the right direction, Dimitri, because okay. I was gonna ask you. There is an interesting theory online, and I believe this mm. is the direction that you are heading. Some people are saying, some people are saying, everyone sit down, because I feel like everyone knows now the direction I'm going. Some people are saying, could John Diggle be Ryan Wilder's papa? Now, what was the theory that we had before? I think Dimitri might have been the first one to mention it, but uh, a lot of people were saying maybe um, uh, uh, Mr. Fox was potentially Ryan's father, which that would be an interesting dynamic because then Luke and Ryan would be half-siblings. Um, so, so there was that. But now a lot of people are wondering, especially because we know they, they had a little, you know is back in the day, could Diggle be Ryan's father? Is that where you were going, Dimitri? Like, do, do you buy this? Do you want this to happen? Do you still like your idea of Lucius Fox? Uh, what did you think of the internet now sort of uh, theorizing that our very own... Arrowverse veteran John Diggle could be Ryan Wilder's papa. I I wouldn't I don't think it's the direction they're going. It was a thought that crossed my mind, but it did seem like it would be very much shoehorned in. Um Diggle doesn't seem like the type of guy to leave a child uncared for. And um, since he clearly knew about the existence of her daughter, um, I, I feel like, you know, if if that was his daughter, he would have been a little more involved, even if she wasn't. So I feel like the Diggle we know from Arrow would not uh, have allowed Ryan to get this far in life without, you know, knowing his existence, his presence, what have you. That said, there's a part of me that's like, I wouldn't put it past the Arrowverse to shoehorn something like this in. Um, I personally don't want it to happen because I feel like it would be a disservice to Diggle's character, but I was, I was doing some mental math as this episode was, was going on. I think the only way they could get away with it is if Diggle 100% did not know. Uh, if Jada, you know, would have said something like, I, I can't even think of what Jada would have said, but it, Jada would have had to have lied, and, and that, would have, that would have been the only way it could potentially make sense. I don't know if the rest of uh, our fantastic co-hosts had the same idea as the internet, or what they think of what the internet said. But uh, I'll open it up to both of you. Professor Millie, um, you know, both of you were fans of Arrow, and y'all know Diggle. Would this be exciting, or would this be too much? 
too much. Uh, I agree <laughs> okay. with Dimitri. It's it's totally out of character for for John Diggle. Um, you know, if it if it was that he you know, he didn't know about it, except that he did know about it. Um, and you know, the the whole idea that you know he would have you know abandoned his child in this way doesn't make any sense. I I still say the only thing that makes sense is that Jada had to hide the existence of her child because her father was dangerous. Or maybe it's the Lucius Fox thing, but I still don't think that makes as much sense as the idea that, you know, her father was a supervillain of some sort or, you know, a very bad news character. Okay. All right. So that means maybe Jada Jet will survive past the season because we need the answers as to who the father was. And clearly this is not a conversation that they're planning on having at the moment because she's got other pressing issues. Okay. Millie Wood, do you want to chime in? You're a big fan of Diggle. Would this be out of character for Diggle, as the professor said? Would this be too much? Or is this at all, at all, intriguing to you? No, too much. I, I agree with both Dimitri and Professor. It'd be, I think it was, it's playing too much with the storyline, and you run the risk of, of really degrading, I think, the character. Um, I would like, yeah, if he's just there. I, like, him being there in general is odd, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, that'd be too much. And I think there's, as a professor, it'll be interesting to see that Ryan's father was like a big bat or something like that, or just maybe just nobody um, that, that's there, but it's not going to leave this unturned there. But I don't think the Lucius Fox either, because that would also be just borderline strange and weird. <laughs> okay. All right. Nothing strange and weird for Millie. Uh, but Millie would. Thumbs up, thumbs down. John Diggle facial hair. Thumbs up. John Diggle looked good. Yes, thumbs up. Okay, because I don't feel like we've ever seen him with facial hair. Am I wrong? No, this is a first. I'm surprised. Like, I'd like to have. I kind of wish they let him, like, sport the facial hair and um, arrow. It makes him look, like, more gruff. But maybe they want him to look more, like, scruffier than Oliver Queen or something. Okay, there you go. All right, so there we go. We got Diggle with the facial hair. Uh, We'll see if the facial hair pops up again. Um, He is supposed to, I think, at least make an appearance on Superman and Lois. And uh, we'll see where else. Okay, so let's stick with John Diggle for a moment because we did get some additional information, I guess is what we will call it, in regards to... His uh, larger Arrowverse storyline um, to catch people up uh, way back when it feels like it was a thousand years ago because of the endless year that was 2020 and then 2021. There was an Arrow series finale and one of the very final scenes was of John Diggle finding a box that had a ring in it. And he, we, we learned over his subsequent visits over multiple shows in the Arrowverse that he did not sort of accept what was in the box. And uh, then we finally had him, I don't remember in which appearance, but in one of his appearances last season, he, he said, Worlds await... And it seemed like he said something to the gist of, you know, I I can't stop running from whatever, whatever. So, we do remember that he showed up on Batwoman last season. And I don't think we knew this. Apparently he gave the box to Luke 
so that he could use, his, you know, the Wayne tech or something to try to open it. And he's like, oh, I, can't, I can't open it. Whatever this is, clearly it's not of this world. Um, you know, how, have you ever opened it? Oh, I did before, and this, that, the other. And like, well, maybe you're going to have to try to do something similar again, because clearly, you know, this is sort of imprinted in a specific sort of way. So, this was interesting. Um, I don't know how we're feeling about this Diggle storyline. Um, I will personally say I'm very confused by it, because I have no idea what they're doing with this. Uh, the fact that there is going to be a Green Lantern series on HBO Max kind of makes me go, like, are they going to go full Green Lantern with Diggle? Can they? Are they allowed to? Uh, Warner Brothers is, is or DC, um, is very strange in regards to stuff like that, like having multiple of the same properties out there. Um, and there is going to be a Diggle-centric Arrowverse series, uh, Justice U, that is at least currently in development at the CW. So I'm guessing this is a storyline that will follow him there. Uh, so this is a little bit of new information. Uh, Professor, did you find it interesting? Are you curious to see where this storyline is going with Diggle? What do you think of his uh, moment with Luke? You know, I liked it. I, I like the fact that they're not simply abandoning this, that they are keeping, you know, John Diggle as a recurring character, and they are sort of, you know, dropping the hints in there. I could see it going multiple ways. I could see this sort of setting up the, uh, you know, uh, him, you know, joining the HBO uh, Green Lantern series. Um, you mentioned the idea that, you know, uh, DC traditionally has been a little, you know, weird about their various versions of the characters. Uh, but, you know, there is a Flash movie coming out that's going to have multiverse versions of characters um and there's a current flash and you know the the movie flash and so you know it, they might be leaning more into a, a multiverse friendly version of that the the new version of the batman that's coming out is sort of a standalone version that exists outside of dc continuity from you know everything i've heard so it's possible uh i think it could work uh any one of a number of different ways i'm just i i do like the fact that you know there's these little you know touches in there you know we've said before that you know you have these shows that are supposed to be part of a unified existing universe. And so just having these moments of reminding us of the characters that exist in the other shows and of the, you know, longer term, uh, you know, things that are going on that aren't necessarily relevant you know, to that particular show. Um, I like that. I like the fact that it isn't a shared uh, universe. And, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, is, is sometimes frustrating is when some of the shows don't do that. When they just sort of say, nope, we're going to be hived off on our own little world and we're not going to play with all of the other kids in the sandbox. Uh, so, uh, you know, if they are part of a shared, you know, Berlanti-verse or CW-verse or Arrowverse or call it what you will, you know, I, I like the fact. It's a little bit of fan service, yes, but uh, I, I liked uh, the end of it. Uh, and, and Luke's, uh, you know, sort of suggestion that, you know, it opened itself to you before. Maybe, you know, the, the problem isn't the box. Maybe it's you. Um, and yeah, I think there, there is going to be more, uh, that, uh, that they're building to, to some sort of, you know, reveal some sort of, uh, you know, denouement with, with John Diggle. I'm not sure what it will be. Uh, but I do like the fact that, you know, we are you know getting him recurring and getting these, you know, little hints, little, uh, little, uh, drops of information, uh, about what John Diggle is up to. Yes. Uh, Diggle also tells Luke, uh, you know, I have a message for Batwoman. Jada Jet has figured out a way to save her son, which, that's interesting. I, I do wonder if Diggle is faking it, and, and he, 
because he was kind of like saying it like he doesn't know who Batwoman is. I feel like he has to know who Batwoman is. That's just my opinion. Of just because he works for Argus and that whole thing. Um, anyway, uh, I do hope, just to sort of uh, follow up with what the professor's saying, I do hope DC is starting to play a little fast and loose with their characters, their the various interpretations of their characters. The thing that still kind of um, sticks with me is the fact that on Arrow, they were basically creating their own iteration of the Suicide Squad, but then the Suicide Squad movie came out, and they were killing off, like, everybody that was involved with their version of Task Force X on Arrow. Uh, they didn't even call it Suicide Squad, uh, but we knew exactly what they were doing. But anyway, all right, moving right along, uh, let's talk about Mary and Alice together. Millie. We got a lot of Mary and Allison in this episode. I mean, they were going to go to Santorini. Like, can we all go to Santorini? I'm just saying. Like, don't we all need a break? I mean, it, it sounded beautiful. Um, Millie, they had uh, Jitters Frappes, which I, I know you were excited about. I was as well. But then one splashed on the ground, which, you know, I mean, that's not what you do with the frappe. Um, anyway, um, so they, they were gonna, going to escape but uh, Mary is drawn to something. There, there's a ringing in in her head. It was like you know this huge migraine, and it was OG Poison Ivy calling her. And the whole point of this storyline, outside of the fact that uh, you know Poison Mary and Poison Ivy end up meeting by the end of the episode, it was the fact that Alice cared about what was going to happen to her steppy, as, as she calls her on occasion. You know, she was really worried that Mary was going to die. And she sort of gave off this little, oh, you know, because the tickets are in your name, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. How the fuck they bought tickets. I guess, you know, they must have used an app on the phone. But, um, but yeah, like, this was fascinating, wasn't it, Millie? Alice cares. Yeah, I think I wrote, like, Alice can care beyond herself. No, but, oh, the shade of it all. Um, no, I, like, we were, we've been heading that way, but I think it was, like, a very, um, like, a nice kind of payoff for the past two episodes and seeing them bond um, for that to, like, actually come out, like, we see Alice really do care about Mary, we knew that, but to outwardly show that, um I liked it, and I also enjoyed Mary's comment, like, why are we, like, this shouldn't work <laughs> for multiple reasons, including he killed my mom, um, but it, it doesn't, and I, like, love how they point that out, and sometimes, like, things, you know, the oddest combo works the best, and this has kind of been a highlight, um, at least for me, just, I love Alice and Mary separately and together, like, the chemistry between the two, Rachel and Nicole is great, so it's always a fun time to see uh, their, like, sassiness, especially with the new, like poison Mary, uh, it just has elevated. I think like this storyline a lot more, and it was surprising. And I really like how they were able to kind of show that uh, throughout this episode for them. Yeah, it's really fascinating. You know, I've been wanting an Alice redemption arc, and I don't know if we're really getting it with this, but they had a moment, and they even had an an, an even more interesting moment where where they actually discuss why do we work. Like, why, why does this make sense? Like, you killed my mom, and, uh, like, you're, like, a supervillain, and this, that, or the other. 
but she's like, but I see the, um, you know, the girl that just wants to be free. And, uh, you know, and, and I just want to be able to do what I want to do. And this is out of the other. That thought that was fascinating. Uh, right, Professor? The reason I'm bringing up that point in, in, in particular is because we've been discussing, like, why do they work? Like, how, how are they able to gel, especially because Alice killed her mom? I mean, let's be real. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, you know, it is true that Alice killed her mom. They, they sort of, you know, pushed that to the past. And I, I think, you know, uh, what I liked about, uh, you know, the development here is that everything we've seen in their relationship, and they've spent a lot of time together, you know, over the past few episodes, uh, you know, ever since Mary started to become Poison Mary. Um, and, you know, it hasn't been clear whether Alice was just manipulating Mary because Mary is a powerful being and Alice is using her for her own ends. I think what we found out in this episode is that that may have been how it started, but I think Alice has come to realize that she does actually care about Mary, that she's worried about Mary, that she's concerned about Mary. And, you know, when she was trying to get Mary away, you know, sure, it's, you know, to keep, you know, her, her gravy train going, but also, you know, she does, I think, actually care about her sister and worry about her sister. And I think, you know, Alice was as surprised by that realization uh, as anyone would have been. And uh, I think, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, possible redemption arcs for, for Alice. Um, you know, it might be necessary for Alice to get involved in some way to save Mary, depending on what happens with her and uh, and OG Poison Ivy going forward. So, yeah, I, I really thought it was it was a, a delightfully played scene. Obviously, you know, we talked in the past, you know, Rachel Carson could have a great scene with the mop. Uh, but when uh, yeah. her and, and Mary are together. Uh, it was great. Uh, you know, the two of them were, were just fabulous. And um, I really do think that this was an important episode in terms of, you know, not just our realizing the depth of Alice's feelings uh, towards her stepsister, but for Alice to make that realization as well. Because I think this is the first time it's been quite clear that, you know, her feelings are real. Yeah, her and Steppy. I, I love it. it. It's strange, but it works. And uh, I'm... Here for it, 100%. All right, Dimitri's been waiting patiently, but we are now on the road to the kiss. So, so there was a big moment on Batwoman last night, and that moment was, first of all, Ryan was being hella petty to, uh, to, to <laughs> oh gosh, I can't even. I can't even. Sophie Moore. It was amazing. I know. It really was. Oh, so you're giving me the silent treatment. It was just spectacular. And the way that the fact that she opened, she she like put her hand out because she thought she was getting a coffee and she didn't. And then she had, and then Ryan did the long sip. It was just amazing. It was beautiful. Magical. Ryan was the pettiest of the petty. Petties. It was fantastic. But there was a lot of pettiness and there was a lot of conversations between Ryan and Sophie about, you know, are you mad at me? Like, what's going on? This, that, or the other. Yes, listeners, we're talking about Wildmore right now. Like, what's going on? Like, I feel like sometimes you don't like me. And when did this start? And, you know, when you saw me just as a criminal. It was, I mean, it was like everything. Like, all of the emotions were bubbling up to the surface. And then Ryan as Batwoman does something that was very life or death. Like, it really was. Like, she wasn't even sure if she was going to survive. 
She was in a car, and she basically told Sophie, make it go kaboom. And it does go kaboom. And Ryan Wilder was safe, but nobody knew she was going to be safe. And so Sophie was like, don't ever make me do that. Like, you could have died. And Ryan Vents, in a spectacular and very honest way, let's be real, because Ryan Wilder is going through a lot. She's like, I've got this family, and I've got a supervillain, and I've got this, that, the other, and whatever, whatever, whatever. And to shut her up, it's the kiss heard round the internet. Sophie and Ryan kiss for the very first time. Ryan does shut up, and she gives the goofiest smirk ever after it happens. So there we go. Dimitri. We all love Wildmore here, but you are the president of the Wildmore fan club. You know, you, you, you have an in with the Batwoman writers. Most of the time they are reading you for filth, but <laughs> you do have an in with them. You converse Indeed. with them. They like your tweets. On occasion, they will retweet. So you are, in, in my opinion, although you're really not, but in my head, in my head canon, you are an insider. In the world of that Speaking. Woman. Yes. So, talk to me about it. What'd you think of not just the kiss, but everything leading up to it? Because there were some real moments. Like, as I said, emotions and truths sort of bubbled to the surface. What'd you think of all of the foreplay leading up to the kiss? It, it's, there's, so, I, I thought the kiss was phenomenal. The the great way that they cross this line on this show makes me that much more resentful that they had already kind of hinted at it on Flash during Armageddon because there was no touching this. This was perfect. Um, and uh, I think um, multiple cast members had tweeted about, you know, this is one of my favorite episodes. Like, we had so much fun with this. And it, I think it shows in, like, just how well they were all playing off the scene. And um, Javisha Leslie's kiss, like her her post-kiss sort of completely dazed face, was just like, well, okay then, was absolutely adorable. It was a great scene. It, it's weird because, like, even as a viewer and someone rooting for it to happen, I didn't see it coming until it happened. Like, it's so out of the blue that scene could have very easily ended with those two storming away from each other. And it's like, all right, I guess we got to wait till next season for these two to get together. So, um, it, I thought it was, you know, really well done. Um, the comedic sort of shade that they were throwing throughout the whole, uh, episode prior just made this moment that much more of a payoff. So honestly, um, I think, uh, I think it's it was really well done. The writers tweeted that, um, you know, we can finally say we're on the wild boar train. We've been holding this in for months. And, you know, I'm, I think they made the right decision because wild boar is endgame. But, it, you know, it also heightens my decision that the the Flash had no place sort of, you know, giving any sort of narrative to this storyline. This is a, a Batwoman storyline, and the Flash should have just stayed out of it and we'd get uh we'd get this payoff you know just sort of in isolation cuz it's so much better here i co-sign all of that actually yes shame on you 
the Flash. I'm just saying. All right. I'll open the door for everybody else. Any thoughts on the kiss? Any thoughts on the lead-up to the kiss? Are we excited? Are we here for it? Um, do we still want a slow-burn relationship? Uh, wh where do we think this goes from here? Millie Wood. I feel like, considering this is the CW and the Arrowverse, the slow burn is inevitable. I think I prefer that. <laughs> okay, the um, slow I burn is inevitable. They have to drag the drama out. I was surprised that we got the kiss as soon as we did. Because um, I, like, it is... I don't know it's halfway through the season, but I feel like they would have carried out for, like, the season finale or something. Um, so... I am curious because it, it was, you know, are they going to play it off of like, oh, spur of the moment? Like, how are they going to drag this out? But I am glad there's, I guess, progress going on the wild more. Uh, I'm curious how they're going to kind of hop over the whole Sophie with Montoya thing, but maybe, you know, one kiss off. Because <laughs> um, I think that that's going to rear its head again, especially since they're still kind of hunting Montoya and Pam down. So that'll be, that'll be fun kind of um, X versus whatever's going on. So I think there's a lot, they have a lot of ammo to go with. Well, I mean, are they really X's? I mean, they just smashed. You know what I'm saying? You, Montoya seems to have forgotten all about Sophie. I feel like <laughs> Sophie is within her rights to forget all about Montoya. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, I mean, it was a moment. It was a moment. Professor, your thoughts on Wildmore? Oh, well, it was great. I mean, uh, you know, I agree uh, with you and Dimitri. What sold it for me was not so much the kiss, which, you know, didn't uh, it, it didn't surprise me the kiss coming there because it's such a cliche. The person is, is venting and, you know, the you know, the you know, the person, you know, shuts them up with a kiss. What sold it for me was, as you both mentioned, was, you know, Ryan's absolutely, you know, delightful smile on her face afterwards. Like so that sort of. Whoa, did that just happen? Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, yeah, maybe it did come a little quickly, but it's something that we've been all waiting for since Ryan Wilder joined the show. Uh, you know, she's uh, she's been great. You know, I love the fact that they did have a little callback in this episode to the origin of their relationship, that, you know, uh -huh, Ryan uh -huh. was a criminal and Sophie was a crow. And, you know, just sort of reminding us where they've come from. Uh, and, uh, so I thought, you know, you know, how long it's going to take for this to, to end up with them, uh, you know, uh, actually in a relationship, I don't know, but I think it's, it's obvious that's the way we're going. And, uh, you know, I'm sure like everyone else on the, the podcast, I'm, I'm all on board for it because, you know, the two of them are just great together. 100%. The chemistry is fantastic. And I'm glad that they took their time with this. Like last season, I do remember saying like, are they going to go there? And I felt like last season, it just would have been way too soon. Like, we still had sort of, like, you know, the stench of Kate Kane wafting in the air. And, and the fact that she was, you know, she didn't know that Kate was Batwoman, but she had that crush on Batwoman. And then, you know, she was exes with Kate. Like, it was just way too much. And it would have been way too soon. So I'm glad they, that they allowed us to get to know Ryan, fall in love with Ryan, and also get to know Sophie. Because let's be real, we did not really care for Sophie in season one. And they allowed the Sophie character to really blossom and grow in season two. So we were able to care about these two characters individually. And then when the idea started popping up of like, hmm... 
these two together, it just made much more sense than, you know, all of a sudden, if they would have started the storyline last season with, like, either Sophie giving um, Ryan the googly eyes or Ryan giving Sophie the googly eyes, like, that just would have been a lot. At least that's what I say. So, uh, moving right along, can I just say, as just like a quick thing, the humor in this episode was fantastic. From Sophie at the start, you know, looking at a shirtless Luke doing his Oliver Queenage, um, and saying that this is an HR violation, like, that was hilarious. And then their discussion about black people in horror movies, you know, because they were like, oh, you know, black people go to the woods, they don't survive. But then um, Ryan gives the very... It pointed and very truthful point that, you know, well, it's not like black people were writing those movies anyway. Uh, I thought the humor was really, really good in this episode. So props to the writers as well as to uh, our actors for delivering the lines in a, in a very fun sort of way. So the characters do head into the woods because they triangulate various... Um, what would we call them? Botanically attacks, eco attacks that were happening around the city, and it turns out they that uh, the triangulation of the situation is in the um, I don't know if they ever gave it a name, but I'll just call it the Gotham National Park system, and so they're going to go into the woods to find poison ivy. When they get there, a dude has been attacked, and they're going to help him, but then a whole bunch of uh, uh, vinage, um, you know, it looks more like tree bark, but anyway, just rips through the car, drags it, um, ends up um, impaling the dude, uh, they end up finding a cabin, so they're in a cabin in the woods, like a horror movie. Uh, once again, sort of like these horror tropes keep on popping up over here on Batwoman. And uh, they, you know, there's like this whole situation in the cabin. Poison Ivy ends up attacking them. Uh, it's a whole lot. So let's talk about everything that goes down in the woods between Luke, uh, Sophie, and Ryan, um, as far as, you know, the, 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 what would we call it? The, um, the ingenuity that they had to do because, uh, uh, one of the vines ended up stealing Luke's, uh, gun that he was gonna, I don't know, I guess stun Poison Ivy with. Professor? Uh, yeah, I, I, you mentioned, you know, uh, most of the key points, you know, they had some, some good humor there, the, uh, uh, the pettiness of, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, the when uh, Sophie and Ryan are trying to, you know, uh, you know, reassure Luke that, you know, he's not a complete failure uh, with both of them basically trashing the other uh, was delightfully done. And, and again, you know, to, to, to a certain extent, that kind of fits into the horror trope, because most horror movies these days do have that, you know, certain layer of humor layered on it. So it actually kind of made it feel a little more realistic. Um, you know, I'm not a botanist by training, but I do know enough about, uh, you know, uh, botany to know that salt and vinegar, you know, is great for chips. I don't know that it, it's the way that you would stop 
sentient plants. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I thought it, it was really nicely done. Um, you know, and, you know, with the, uh, the introduction of the, the kid and the father who just, you know, have to be out wandering the national forest, um, you know, gave Luke his redemption. Um, because he's been going through that. They were well, making memoes. Sorry. Yes. Making, yes. Making memoes that I'm sure will traumatize that kid for the rest of his <laughs> yes. life. Um, but, uh, you know, then, you know, Luke being able to go in there and, you know, save the kid, um, you know, you know, him having that realization that you know he doesn't need the batwing suit to be a hero uh you know it's 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 his willingness to put himself at risk to to save others who need saving that's what makes him a hero and that of course sets up his uh you know talking to his father at the the gravesite uh you know towards the end of the episode so i thought you know it, it was very nicely done and again reinforcing the pettiness from earlier in the episode so that you know when we do get the resolution to the kiss it just feels that much more earned because all of that pettiness has been revealed as we all knew it was, was just, you know, sublimated romantic tension. Of course. Yes. Dimitri, I want to ask you about what happened to Luke in this episode? Because interestingly enough, you know, there was like so much going on, but Luke actually had his own storyline in this episode and it had to deal with his, uh, self-doubt, you know, his belief that, you know, maybe he isn't supposed to be a superhero. And the professor mentioned that fantastic moment where, you know, we're, we're, it seems as if we're about to get a really heartfelt, like, you're a hero, you know, heroes fail, and it's okay type of uh, talk. And that is like, yeah, heroes fail. Like, you know, look at Sophie. Like, she, she let two people escape. And then Sophie's like, yeah, well, look at Batwoman. It's supposed to be this great detective. And you didn't even know her friend was, you know what I'm saying. Like, it was just amazing. But um, even through that pettiness, we did have a hero moment for Luke. The little kid that wanted the memoies, you know, he got a memoi. You know, you saved me. You're my hero. And all that kind of stuff. I don't think he said that. But basically that's what ended up happening. And that was a little moment for Luke to realize that he can be a hero. And as the professor said, you know, it leads him to go and have a talk, you know, to to um, his father's grave. Much like we saw Ryan have a talk because she was sort of in, in a little bit of uh, turmoil as well to um, to her uh, adopted mother, adoptive mother's um, grave. Um, yeah, so what'd you think of Luke? Do you feel like Luke now is going to be, without all that doubt, you know, is this a, a moment of character growth for Luke? I think this episode is almost perfect. It had two flaws. Um, oh. I'll get to the second. I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss it, but... Was the it the first... memories? No. Oh. Uh, well... The first is Luke's little speech in the cabin uh, because it's so cliche in the Arrowverse. It's like, am I a hero? Am I not a hero? I'm not a hero because, as you can tell, everything is my fault. It's a speech that Oliver Queen has given repeatedly. It's a speech that Barry has given repeatedly. I just don't need to hear this speech again. I It's happened so much, it's hard for me to be remotely objective about this because... Maybe it didn't sound so cringe the first time I heard it, you know, on Smallville when I was like 12. But 
now it is just the most like claws on a chalkboard thing. And, you know, like the Batwoman writers are a talented, talented group of people. I've shaded some other writing teams on our podcast, but uh, you guys are above this. Like, don't. The only reason I can forgive this is because it led to that perfect, perfect exchange between Ryan and Sophie. But I really feel like it was just so unnatural. Just Normal people aren't like, am I a hero or am I not a hero? Like, nobody says that. I ask that. myself um, that all the time. And so much of the other dialogue on this show is is either really natural or just really funny. Um so like uh you know while the sniping maybe was a little more than what normal people would do it was so funny that we let it go um but this was one of those uh i guess not quite monologues but it was one of those speeches that just felt so contrived so much just like if i fed a bunch of hourverse episodes into my iphone and then had it like auto generated a speech it would be this one um i the only reason I can let it go is because of Ryan and Sophie's perfect comedic timing right after it. Um, and you know, the, the scene where he saves the kid is, is cute. Um, but just this lead up, I, I really could have done without. All right. You didn't like that memo. that's okay. That is fine. That is fine. So while all of this is going down, while, you know, while they're spraying roots with, salt and vinegar and that sort of thing. Uh, there is a whole other thing that's going down on the other side of the woods. And that is Renee Montoya trying to help her love poison Ivy. And uh, we get a little bit of, uh, of a taste of their relationship. At some point it is called toxic. Do we agree? Stay tuned. Uh, but there is a lot of back and forth because Poison Ivy is very weak. And, um, you know, at, at a certain point, Renee is, like, trying to help. But we aren't sure how far she's going to go to help her. And then she's like, I know how to help you. Um, we did see Poison Ivy kill um, two fishermen because they did not go along with the catch and release program, which, you know, I guess rules are rules. And if you break them, there are consequences, but, um, yes. So, uh, uh, poison Ivy knows that her, what, what did she call her? Uh, sporling is out there. Her sporling is poison Mary. And so she's going to draw her to her. There's like this whole little scene where we see, um, Poison Ivy laying on the ground and like the wind passes by and it was it was something um, but as I said Mary's drawn to her and even though Alice doesn't want her to go Mary uses her powers of persuasion to uh, basically be able to dip and she does uh, she ends up getting she ends up finding the man with the son in the memories um, but she sort of um, well before that she gets darted and tranked by Montoya who herself had uh, gotten the powers of persuasion by poison ivy but she had uh, I guess taken a little sip of 
some sort of serum that she made of the persuasion so that she can uh, no longer be susceptible to it. And she she was like, I, I took a drop of it every day for the past 10 years. I was like, all right. And it looked like Poison Mary harmed the man. Uh, she clearly, I, I don't know what that was. Uh, I was very worried. Alice ends up finding someone, but I think that was the man that was impaled from the earlier part of the episode. So I don't think Mary actually killed anybody. I'm hoping. But anyway, Mary does end up meeting Poison Ivy. And they connect, and it's and and there's there's a moment of them together, and um, I don't really know what happened. All I know is that there were these beautiful green twinkly lights, and the camera spun around, and um, we had Poison Ivy looking like she was dehydrated, but then all of a sudden she her face was beat. And she had, you know, lipstick and the makeup and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there was that. And there was, like, the music. And, yeah. Millie, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to ask you uh, what you thought of it. Um, I know you're not a big horror movie fan, but there were a lot of horror elements. What would you think of that? And uh, are you as sure as I am that the father of the Memoese kid is not dead? Because I don't think he's dead. I don't feel like Mary would kill somebody. But you never know. I don't know. He had something going through him. He looked pretty No, dead. I don't think that was the man. I think that was the the man that had the gimpy leg from the start of the episode. Remember the one that Luke couldn't help? Oh. I think I think that was him. I don't think that was the father. The father, we heard him yell, ah! So he might be concussed, but I don't think he's dead. I hope he's not dead. Because I... And I... Well, at first I thought it was him because, I mean, all white men in the woods look the same. I know, right? And they're all kind of scary. Exactly. I was (laughs) sad when I thought it was like him because I, like, I think that's the one line, like, Mary, like, I was just like, fans of Mary won't want her to cross. I also think that'd be really hard for Mary to come back from, I think, personally, and then, like, just, you know, out of everything that happens. Um, So I'm hoping it's not that and the other white men that would be exciting um and in terms of the whole i agree i had no idea what's going on but visually it was really pretty um, it was like all the little green twinkly lights it was also very strange and and this was one thing i thought sat a little weird with me for mary's storyline this episode was like she kept wanting to go to poison ivy and she's like she's the one that like awakened this thing and in me which is very strange, I thought. I thought, kind of reminded me, um, we've seen the other, uh, I wanted to, like, on Arrow, I was like, this person kind of, quote-unquote, birthed me and, and showed me this way. And for Mary to take that, I thought was a little weird. Um, and also, I feel like it implies that, like, she needs these powers, this elevation kind of thing, in order to feel and find her space in the Bat Team and in where she is at the moment. And I feel like that is kind of also a cop-out storyline there. Um, so that whole aspect of it was really strange, and I'm wondering if it's like she's, truly going to be like an underling of poison ivy so i think that will be weird but i guess at the same time interesting i just kind of wish it was a a slightly different direction um and kind of like let mary be her own person kind of thing yeah i'm very confused as to what happened at the end i don't know if anybody else has an answer to this but i am confused because it was like there was a part of me that was like is this going to be like a situation where poison ivy is 
kind of going to suck the life force out of Mary. Because I was worried for Mary as well, much like Alice was. Um, like, I feel like, uh, we've said this before, Nicole Kang, um, a.k.a. Mary Hamilton, has plot armor. So I, I feel like she's going to escape the clutches of Poison Ivy by the end of the season. Um, maybe not unscathed, but um, she'll have some scars, maybe emotional and mental ones. But I think she'll be okay. Um, so I, I don't know what she did, but um, Professor, do you happen to have an answer as as to what Poison Ivy actually did? And do you agree with Millie that Mary is going to end up being kind of like um, an underling a uh, second-in-command, or or someone that's going to be doing Poison Ivy's bidding? Well, first of all, you were saying uh, you're confused. You are definitely confused if you think Mary didn't straight-out kill that guy. You think uh, the father's guy, dead, dead. Mary, she flicked, the guy went flying through the air, and when <laughs> Alice saw the guy, he was suspended that in was midair, not the same impaled. One. I think that was the first guy. No, the first guy was dragged off on the ground, and he oh, through okay. a giant stalactite-sized uh, vine okay. through his chest. This was the kid's father. Mary flat out killed the guy. Okay. You now there is right. a little bit of you know in, in that it was you know it was not a premeditated act. She was you know reacting instinctively. But no, Mary killed the guy, and Mary's going to have to deal with the consequences of that. This is not going to be any sort of, I wake up and, uh, oh, it was all a dream. Mary is going to have to deal with the consequences of what she did. Uh, And uh, and that's going to be an important arc for Mary going forward. That's a big memory. as far as the um, uh, the scene with uh, with poison ivy, I think it's just that you know we we speculate on the idea that you know poison ivy, uh, you know that uh, that Mary was essentially incubating you know the the energy that poison ivy would need, and the fact that you know uh, you know we we got uh, you know a totally rejuvenated poison ivy at the end of it. I was just glad because I was really worried that they were going to go the absolute trope that poison ivy would be you know young and youthful, and then we would you know. As the camera continues going around, we'd see a you know an old and shriveled up uh, you know a Nicole Kang, and we didn't, oh, no. which I'm glad we didn't get that because that would have been an absolute cliche. But I think what's going to happen now is that yes, you know Mary does see uh, you know Poison Ivy as the the person who who freed her, who who liberated her. Um, but she's going to have to realize that the consequences of her liberation are that she killed a guy. And um, you know she's you know she's going to have to push back. She's going to have to you know reach back to the Mary that she was, uh, you know, in order to, uh, to break free of that. But she flat out killed the guy. You're kidding yourself if you think otherwise. Okay. All right. I mean, I was trying to write her, give her an out, but. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to chime in here. Yes. Because I think there's an important point missed. That guy, one, he pointed a gun at Mary. He fired her with the butt of the gun. No, when when she wakes up and she's like, "What?" He points. At her. <laughs> yeah, he kind of did, didn't he? It's on camera, and professor. Two, and two, she clearly flicked him from the front. And when Alice finds him dead, he's been impaled from the back. So it's very, very likely, I think, that she didn't mean to kill him and oh, it's more okay. of a, a manslaughter than a, a murder kind of deal oh, okay. i think semantics him into the air and he happened to land on something that was pointy and yeah, yeah. there are dangerous stuff in the woods. Downhill from he there. was suspended in midair 
There are dangerous stuff in the woods, on something Professor. Pointy on the ground. He was flung through the air by Mary onto a wooden spike. <laughs> there are dangerous things think, in the woods, I y'all. I don't I mean, think Mary meant to fling him. No, onto and, and I said that is... it was an instinctive thing. But I, I said also that Mary's going to have to deal with consequences because Mary's not someone who can shake this off. Mary's not an Alice mm-hmm. or a person who can say, well, it doesn't really matter, uh, anything like that. Mary is going to have to, you know, realize what she did, and she's going to deal with the consequences of that. Oh, totally. And maybe yeah. that kid is going to grow up to be a supervillain. Oh, my God. He was one in memories, and he's got a big one now. Can I just say I'm glad that they um, – because I was worried about that phone. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, the kid was filming, and I'm glad that Alice was the one that ended up finding it. Like, I was very scared that the child actually had video proof of what happened. Because, you know, I mean, that would have looked bad for Mary. She would have been in jail, I'm just saying. Um, Yeah. All right. Any additional thoughts? I know Dimitri had something that he wanted to bitch about. Remember you said there were two low points for you in the episode. Um, So you gave us the one. So it is your turn to um, to influence all of us with the low point, the second low point for you in the episode. The second imperfection. The ending, or the moment right after the kiss, basically makes no sense. Because suddenly Sophie just kind of assumes, like, oh, it's fine for me to look for my car now. As if, you know, they've defeated Poison Ivy permanently when they clearly haven't. Um, but she's just like, oh, I'm going to find my car. And the next we see, they're all, you know, safely out of the woods. I really wish she would have maybe spotted the car in the distance and they all, like, haul ass and get out of the woods instead because it it puts this weird sort of quantifier on Poison Ivy that we as viewers are not really on board with, like, if you blow up one of her vines one time, can she not attack you for the next hour? Like, what What made Sophie so confident that, oh, now everything's fine, we can leave? The kiss was great, but the moment right after the kiss made no sense. Yeah, okay. It was all that salt and vinegar. Yep. That's why I always go for jalapeno. <laughs> okay, good. It's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Milliewood has been conspicuously quiet throughout all of uh, the Vine chatter. Millie, who's your MVP and why? Oh, that's hard. There's Everyone brought their A-game to this episode, but I think I'll have to give my MVP to Alice. Um, I mean, as always, Rachel does an awesome job, but I think her character development and really acknowledging the importance of Mary in the relationship I think was huge, and I think it was well-played as well and well-paid like paid off um, that we have seen building up the past couple of episodes. Professor, what about you? Uh, you know, for me, it's uh, Javisha Leslie, uh, you know, not just because of the smile, after the kiss, which was tremendous, but all of the the petty sniping and the side eyes and the glances <laughs> and everything that led up to it. Uh, I thought it was just delightful. Um, tremendous for me. Fantastic choices thus far. And I do co-sign with Millie with what she said at the beginning. Everybody brought their A-game. Dimitri, who's your MVP and why? I got to give it to the other half of the shade, Sophie. Um, 
both the the um, drama that you see in the scene right before she blows up the car and all the shade and chemistry in the rest of the episode, just phenomenal, flawless. Fantastic choices, everybody. Uh, and I'm going to go with Mary. I thought Nicole Kang did a really good job in the episode. Uh, the, her sort of like, um, you know, really raw talk with Alice I thought was really well done and um, it, it made sense for the character and, it, and I thought it was a really it was just a nice little moment for both of them together because I've really enjoyed their chemistry as well as their shenanigans and antics the past you know handful of episodes so having them get real for a moment was really, really nice. Um, and uh, I was also very worried for Mary throughout the episode. Um, hashtag justice for Mary, because apparently she's a manslaughterer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I thought Nicole did a really, really good job with, uh, you know, everything Poison Mary in this episode. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 bat signals? The point system is loud, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the bat cave. I'm going to have to sneak into the bat cave right now. Uh, or maybe not, because someone has been um, desiccated. So, let's see. Who's going to go first? Let's start off with Dimitri. Like I said that this episode is not perfect, but it's so, so iconic and perfect in so many ways that I feel like it has to, it has to go to the Batcave. It's, um, it's just, this is one, this is one I want to rewatch right now. It was that good. Um, so yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna go down in the history of the series. Wow. Bold words. All right, I like it. So we're starting off strong with an archive. Uh, Professor, what about you? Oh, I, I definitely agree. This is certainly an, an archive-worthy episode. Uh, it was fantastic, not just because of the kiss, but, you know, a, a great job of, uh, as, a, as we've been talking about, balancing the humor and the heart uh, and, and the action. And, uh, and also, now that Mary is a stone-cold killer, uh, you know, that's oh, uh, no. going to be really interesting going forward. And by the way, if any of you are doubting this, I just went back and rewatched the scene. The guy is impaled 20 feet in the air on a tree, and Alice says, oh, little sister, what have you done? I mean, that could be interpreted in many different ways. Yes, if you are <laughs> totally insane. Okay. All right, so we've got two archives. We've had... Incredibly strong words, like this is in the history books, fantastic episode. Millie Wood, are you going to be tempted by the peer pressure, or are you going to live your truth as you usually do? How would you rate this episode, Millie Wood? Oh, the, the temptation's strong, but I think I'm going to live my truth and go with a solid 9.8 bat wings, or... Yeah, um, and 9.8, I think it was really solid, just, like, in the small bits, but I really do like how um, it balanced not only the humor and the sass and everything, but also everyone's storylines. Like, we had, like, five different things going on, but it was very good at, like, keeping the pacing and, and really fun. Um, maybe it wasn't, like, as 
on the wild more train. Like, I did appreciate it, but maybe that's why I'm a little bit lower than the President Dimitri, but still a solid 9.8. All right. A 9.8, actually, in, in if we're going to convert it from the Millie Wood um, uh, numerical system into our numerical system, it pretty much is, a, is an archive. So, yeah, 9.8 is actually really high for Millie Wood. So I can dig it. Uh, I will actually co-sign with the archiving as well. I mean, the episode was fantastic. Uh, I would say practically perfect in every way. It was just so damn entertaining. It is incredibly rewatchable. And, uh, yeah, it was just fantastic from beginning to end. Ev- everyone did an incredible job. And props to the writers because, wow, just an, a spectacular episode. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Gotham City Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for the Gotham City Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, everyone. Millie Wood. Good night, everyone. If you want to follow along, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. And uh, the king of all the wild moors, Dimitri. Good night, listeners. You can follow my new webcomic on Instagram at Melanin Cuddles. And listeners, it is hella adorable, and I read the comic in your voice, in my head. Oh, I appreciate that, Jeff. You're welcome. It is adorable, everybody. I'm not just saying that to gas up Dimitri's head. It is hella adorable and funny. And it, it it's like your life. Adorable yes. or creepy to have uh, Dimitri's voice ringing in your head? A little of both. But, okay. Yeah, but, but the comic is, is fantastic. It's his <laughs> life. If, if you know, we know Dimitri, so there's a whole lot of chicken wings and it's a whole bunch of stuff. Yes. All right. And on that note... Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Gotham City Gazette every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night. How many hours passed between when you first said my name and then you summarizing the whole rest of the episode until now? Like 20 minutes, probably. (laughs) Fair enough.